little bit of brevity in what's... Uh, did you hear those words? What are you thinking right now? Hearing those words. I can only imagine there's two groups of people here um, that are thinking very differently. There's one group that's going, I'm glad I'm here. I want to see how Rusty's going to deal with that. And you know what? I know people who need to hear that. I'm glad I'm here. And if that's you, because you're married, happily married maybe, never divorced, not headed towards divorce, never planned a divorce, I just want to tell you that uh, what we're going to talk about today is less about divorce and more about marriage. You have something to hear. Those of you who are single but may someday be married, you have something to hear. There's a second group of you here that might be thinking, I wish I wasn't here. I knew I shouldn't have come. For some of you, you're going to hear the words divorce and you're going to hear the words marriage and it's going to bring painful emotions. It might bring to the surface sorrow over something that has been lost. It might bring anger over something that was done to you. Or it might bring regret or guilt uh, about something that you did to another. Or it might bring fear about something that you're worried might happen to you. And you want to slink out of here. And if that's you, I just want to tell you that it's not that this is less about divorce than it is about marriage. It's that Jesus has something to tell us here that's actually bigger than marriage. About God's goodness to you, that wherever you are in life right now, you will be happy to hear. There's actually a third group here. There's the preacher. There's the preacher who knows that there's these two groups here. And when he looked at this week quote I had written two and a half months ago to preach on this Sunday, and when I did that, when I planned the sermon series, I thought, Jesus will come back before I have to preach that. <laughs> like, look what's happening in the Ukraine. I'm like, there's no way we're going to get to, like, beginning of April. And here we are. And I looked at that this week, and I got, we got all these visitors, you know, from, from families here, child dedications. It's so happy, really. Do we want to do this? And there's a part of me that wanted to resist this and maybe to bypass this, you know? Um, and then I thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe the urge to want to sweep under the rug or the bypass means this is exactly where we need to stop and exactly what we need to hear. Because I think if this is something that we, that we might react to in that way, want to resist, that's probably an indicator that we actually really need this. So I decided to keep going with the plan. Feeling like we need to hear, we need to understand the words of Jesus, and we need to see the goodness in God's Word. Did you know that all God's Word is good? Did you know that all of God's Word leads to life? That none of God's commands, none of His ways, none of His will is a burden, but is to be a blessing? That doesn't mean it's easy. It can be hard, but it leads to life to goodness. And for that reason, all of God's law, all of God's word is his love to us. So my hope today is that you are going to see the love of God for you in this, because it's there. And so on this day, 2,000 years ago, somewhere 
in Judea, these group of guys named Pharisees came to Jesus with a question. The Pharisees came and they t- it says in, in, in Matthew, Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 2. Uh, the Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, if you've tracked so far in this series through the Gospel of Mark, this is not the first time or even the second or third time that the Pharisees have come to confront Jesus with a question. And what you have to understand is this is not like, this isn't coming from like a good place. They're not looking for insight. They're not looking for counsel, you know, that they can use in something hard they're going through. They're testing Jesus, we're told. They're looking to make trouble for Jesus because they're outraged by Jesus. They don't like him. Because the Pharisees are the religious class. They're supposed to be the experts of the law. But Jesus wouldn't play by the rules. Jesus wouldn't recognize their authority over what God had said. And they didn't like Jesus. And they wanted to make trouble for him. And they thought, aha, I know how we can make trouble for Jesus. Let's ask him a really thorny question. Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, why would that have been a difficult question for Jesus that would have caused him trouble? Well, it might be for two reasons. A few chapters in, in, uh, earlier in Mark, you'll find that John the Baptist, who was a pretty important guy in the story, actually had his head cut off because he challenged one of the rulers of the land who had uh, taken his, his brother's wife as his own wife. He did away with his brother and took, and took his brother's wife. And John the Baptist rebuked him. He called them out. And so, what are, the, are the Pharisees wanting to create trouble, try to put them in the same position? Jesus, we want you to say something that's going to cause you to lose your head. Maybe that's what they're doing. Or, or maybe they're just trying to diminish the appeal Jesus has to the crowds because he's a pretty popular guy. He's healed. He's taught amazing things. Right? People are following him. And they think maybe we can diminish his appeal to the crowds if we get him to say something that really offends people because we might think that back in the day, oh, you know, a highly religious society way back in, surely they all, you know, like, you know, the sanctity of marriage, divorce was rare. No, 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 no. In Jesus's day, they had a very permissive attitude about marriage and divorce. People got divorced all the time. Well, I should say, men divorced their wives all the time. It didn't really flow the other way because in that day, women were... They did not have that right. They did not have the right to divorce. They were more like the property of the husband. So only the husband had the authority to send his wife away. There was no courts that adjudicated, so it was done justly. He just had the ability to send his wife away. And it happened all the time. You know, so for Jesus to say, if a man divorces his wife and and remarries, he commits adultery, that would be to them... Like Jesus saying to us, if you sell your car and buy another car, you're guilty of theft. It would have that sort of what factor. Because they just assumed, yes, it is lawful for a man to send his wife away. So they're trying to make trouble for Jesus with this question. But Jesus responds with a question of his own. He asked them, well, what did Moses command you? Now, maybe you know Moses was a really important guy. 1,500 years before, he was the leader of God's people, led them out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. It's through Moses that God had given his will for the people of Israel, right, the law, God's law that would govern the way they lived. 
govern their relationships. And so he says, well, what did Moses command you? And they answer his question in verse 4. The Pharisees say to Jesus, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, they were probably referencing what, what we know in our Bible as Deuteronomy chapter 24. Because here is where Moses gives this permission. Okay, so let's, it'll be up on the screen. These are, this is what they were talking about. Moses says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and if he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves the house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled, for that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord." And do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so that's what they were talking about. See, Moses said, a man, it is lawful for a man to send his wife away. Because that's the direction it always flowed in that day. Now, it did, it, but those words said, if, if a husband is displeased with his wife, finds anything indecent about her. Now, that's open for interpretation, isn't it? They had, they had used that very loosely. In, there were a couple different schools of thought, but, but the main school of thought in Jesus' day and the school of thought that the Pharisees um, followed said, like literally said, a man can divorce his wife if she burns supper. Right? If he is displeased with her in any way, he can send her away. Like literally. Okay, so there's a little book that's in, if, if, if you maybe have a Catholic Bible, if you come from back that background, there's a few added books in the Old Testament called the Apocrypha that were not a part of the Jewish Bible. They're not a part of the Bibles that, that we use. But there's a little book in there called Sirach. It, it already existed during Jesus' day. They knew it, right? And they treated it as um, kind of a guide for them. So this is a verse out of this little book called Sirach. It, instruction to husbands. If she does not, the wife, if she does not do as you direct, separate yourself from her. As simple as that. If she does not go as you direct her, separate yourself from her. In other words, you, if you find anything displeasing, you are permitted to divorce. Jesus responds to their answer. In verse 5, he says, Well, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus is saying, friends, that is not a command of what God wants for you. No, God did not give you a command, uh, but a concession. A concession because your hearts were hard because of your evilness. He gave the concession to divorce. So what Jesus is saying, brothers, this is not something that, you know, don't, don't see in this an endorsement, an affirmation, approval, but a measure that God had allowed to mitigate the harm that a husband could do to a wife in the context of marriage. I, I, it's kind of like um, the safe injection site. 
you've heard of, right? And, and I, don't, I don't really have an opinion on that. I don't really know. But you know this whole idea of having a safe injection site? There's all these people that are addicted to drugs. They're going to do drugs one way or the other, right? And it's going to be harmful. They're going to use needles, used needles. They're going to get diseases. It's going to cause harm. So some people felt like maybe the right thing to do is to actually have these sites where they could come, a little more controlled. There's fresh needles that would be given to them to mitigate the harm that can come to them. Now, whatever you think of that, the, the, the idea behind that is not, it's good to do drugs. You should do drugs. We endorse this. We're going to help you do drugs. No, it's like, this is something you're going to do because your heart is gripped with addiction. Jesus saying your heart is hard with sin, and because of the damage that you can cause due to the hardness of your heart, God permits something to mitigate the harm that can be done by permitting divorce. And even in that command there in Deuteronomy chapter 24, this, you might wonder, well, why can't he marry her again? Don't we celebrate that when a guy, like a marriage falls apart and then they come back together? Isn't that good? Yeah, it is good. So why divorce? Why, why can't he remarry her? Well, that was God's way of saying, brothers, gentlemen, be very careful. Do not put your wife away callously, flippantly, carelessly, because if you send her away, you do not get her back. Be careful. It's, it's, it's a prohibition against just kind of casual wife swapping. You know, I can, I'm angry, I can send her away, but then you know, I can take her back. Don't be flippant about this, he says. So Jesus, in his response here, he's saying that this, what they're talking about, this permission does not reflect God's intention. And he says, I want to show you not what God permits through the hardness of heart, but I want to show you what God's heart is for marriage. God's intention is for this relationship. For, for it was that same God that said, recorded in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, I hate divorce. God says, I hate divorce. And before you go, ooh, what, do you, what that doesn't mean is God hates divorced people. God loves divorced people. God loves broken people. God loves sinful people. In fact, the very first person that Jesus revealed his identity to as the Messiah of God was who? John 4, the woman at the well. Married and divorced five times, living with the sixth guy, given up on the whole idea of marriage. Jesus comes to her. No one else would have anything to do with her. And he enters in and he opens up himself and he, and he, and he loves her. This is the first person he, he, he opens up to, right? God loves to forgive. God loves to restore. God hates it when harm comes to people. That's why God hates divorce because he loves people. All people, in all circumstances. And so this, these are the words in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Why does he hate it? Because divorce was being used as a weapon to harm another. Right? The one who should be, who's called to serve and protect is actually doing harm through the act of divorce. As Jesus says there, he hates divorce because it is an act of violence, because he loves people. 
And I don't know maybe, maybe you know, maybe you know that harm in your own life. Whether you know it personally or whether it's someone close to you. How has divorce, how has marital breakdown affected you? How's, how's it touched your life? Um, you know, divorce is always either caused by or the cause of harm. Whether that's economic damage whether that's emotional damage to the partners, to the kids. My daughter Pippa, grade four here in town, she remarked the other day, she'd kind of picked up in conversation, she said, not very many people in my class have moms and dads living together. Like, there's only a, there's only a couple. It, this, this is a common, um, this is a common situation, this is relevant to our lives, Jesus' words here. And so to kind of connect this with um, those who dedicated their children here and, and to other families, you know, I, I don't, I, I, quotes don't really stick in my brain easily, but I remember when I was first married and Eric and I went to a marriage uh, course, something that was said was stuck with me, that the, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a strong marriage. So, so moms and dads, don't, don't, don't like in, in being moms and being responsible you know, the responsibility of, of being moms and dads. Don't, don't allow that to usurp your role and responsibility as husband and wife. Because one of the things that your children need is they need a strong marriage. That's good. That is a gift to your kids. So these Pharisees here, Jesus has identified the problem. And that the problem is their whole approach to God's law is faulty. This isn't about divorce, per se. This is about their, the whole way they approach God and God's, God's will. See, they focused on what was permitted instead of what God had intended. But Jesus wants to get beyond the symptom, and he wa- wants to get to the cause. He wants to get to the heart of the issue, to the root, right? To the hardness of heart. And you know what? You can commit the sin of divorce without ever divorcing. Because divorce is a... It's like a death certificate. A death certificate isn't the death. It didn't create the death. It just acknowledges the death. Well, you can have hardness of heart in marriage without ever divorcing. So Jesus wants to get at the root here because the Pharisees' approach to God's law was it was flawed because they were interested in their rights and not their responsibilities. They're interested in what they could do, but, but not what they should do, right? Because a right concerns oneself. It's what belongs to me. A, a responsibility concerns others, what I owe to others. And so they were just preoccupied with their rights. What can I do? Well, Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in what you can do. What should you do? What should you do? This isn't just about your rights. It's about your responsibilities. And they were not giving any uh, regard, paying no attention to their responsibility in marriage, to the needs of their wives. They were just wanting to claim their rights. But now Jesus is going to point them to God's intention. And this is what he says in verse 6. Jesus says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave... Now, now this is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of the Bible. Okay, He's quoting the Old Testament. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He's showing them God's intention for marriage. And, and, and what is that? Well, there's at least two important things he's showing them here, uh, two truths. And the first is that marriage is not just a human innovation. It's not the result of German engineering. Right? Like, it is God's design. God made it. It is God's idea. Who is it that joins a husband and wife together? It is, Jesus says, God. This is incredible, right? It's not just a piece of paper. When a man and a woman come together and offer their vows to one another in marriage and enter into that covenant, what he's saying is, like God looks down, they're doing what God has created them to do. for their good. And God actually joins them together. Right? And so what God has joined together, let no man separate. So what Jesus is saying is, what makes you think as a guy that you can make marriage anything you want of marriage without regard for what God's will is for it? You can't make marriage the way you want it to be. You need to respond to God's will for what it is. For He's the one who made it. He is Lord of marriage. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Which is a way, Jesus is saying, marriage is to be uh, a lifelong union, not, not a temporary commitment for momentary pleasure, but a lifelong union of committed love between a man and a woman who are joined together by God. So, God's in, so, so God, both gender, God, God made them male and female, and He made them male and female, uh, and, and He made marriage for them as male and female, for their good. That is God's idea. That's God's design. He says, in marriage, the two will become how many flesh? That was fast. Boy, that was really fast. They will become one flesh. So that's interesting. It's like this is a unique relationship. And what's a word that we could use to define the uniqueness of this relationship? Like the only word they could find was the word one, that the two will become one, which doesn't mean that you cease to exist as a person, your your own identity, like your own personality disappears. No, it means that from now on you can't go through life Living, thinking, acting without regard for the other. You are now a unit. And you know, we live in a very individualistic age. I just think we kind of just, it's just we're immersed by it. We're influenced by it, right? Where, where we kind of have this meistic way of thinking. Where it's all about my needs at the center. My needs being, being met. And my commitment lasts only as long as my needs are met. And, and my money is my money. And my time is my time. And no one has any right over what is mine. But you know, in the vows of marriage, there's no condition clause you know, to have and to hold as long as you don't burn my supper. You fold my laundry, you meet my... I mean, that. okay, that's, that's silly, but what about the deeper stuff? I'll meet your needs as long as you meet my needs. 
Jesus is talking about God. God's intention is mutuality. No longer do we think in a meistic sort of way, but now we think in a weistic sort of way. We live, we think, we act as a unit. We belong to one another. We seek to serve the needs of others. Me to my spouse and my spouse to me. In this, in this commitment and this mutuality um, you know, I, I, I don't act, I don't think, I don't make decisions apart from my wife. It's to be done in agreement with, together. We are one. Belonging to one another, serving one another's needs. And that might sound like slavery. And so, you know, our world has kind of thrown off, like, the, the burden of commitment. But people don't, don't they don't commit. They, they, they don't commit to the service groups anymore. Try getting people to sign up for something. Anyone want to be a nursery worker? Eh, I'll do it for one week. How about a month? Eh, how about a year? Eh. I don't think commitment's maybe ever been popular, but, you know, like, we, we live in a commitment-averse uh, society. And you know what they're finding, actually? Sociologists, it's really hurting us. Because what they're discovering more and more, I just read a study about this a while back, that, that commitment actually creates the conditions for fulfillment in something, in a relationship. You see, if you enter a marriage going, I'll give it a try, but if it doesn't work out, you know, I can always bail. You are setting yourself up to fail, aren't you? But when you burn the bridge behind you and say, I'm all in, I'm going to do everything that I can to make this work. I'm invested. You create, and when two people do that, they create the conditions for fulfillment. Commitment, mutuality leads to fulfillment. And they will live happily ever after, right? Right? All the men are laughing nervously. What do I say? She's sitting right beside me. Yeah, yeah, that whole happily ever after thing, that's what I thought, right? You know, I, uh, I only got one piece of marriage advice. Someone said to me, Rusty, are you sure? There's, there's three rings in every, in every marriage. There's, a, there's first, the first is the engagement ring, and then a wedding ring, and the third ring is a suffering. <laughs> I thought, you don't know Erica. She's an angel. Wait, this service wasn't recorded, was it? This is the one? Oh, shoot. She's in Minnesota right now. She's not in the room. She's a wonderful wife. But you know what you discover in a marriage? Marriage is hard. And, here, and, here, and here's the thing. Jesus is saying, you don't need to commit to one another if, if it's just easy. It just comes naturally. Marriage, this is what we need to hear. Marriage is supposed to be hard. So if marriage is hard, it doesn't mean that marriage has failed. It means that marriage is broken. Marriage, by its very nature, is supposed to be hard in as much as we think, God, wouldn't it have been easier if you just kind of made us like great people before we came into marriage and then we could just be much happier in marriage? Marriage is one of God's primary ways to actually refine you. You come in as an individual and now you have to live in this mutuality and it, it, it refines you, it tests you. You, it changes you. Someone has said marriage is the art of two incompatible people learning to live compatibly. Right? Marriage is the way 
He doesn't like um, make you perfect and then you can have a perfect marriage. He makes you perfect, not through marriage. It's supposed to grow you, right? Marriage is supposed to be hard. So Jesus is saying marriage is not the end in itself, but marriage is a means to an end, the work that God wants to do in your life. Now Jesus will show that God's intention is actually much bigger than just a husband and a wife in a marriage trying to be happy together. It's actually about something much bigger than that because this whole series through the Gospel of Mark, we've called it Kingdom Come because at the very beginning, Jesus arrives and he says, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near and the rest of the gospel is to show how Jesus ushers in, establishes this growing kingdom of God, the rule of God in our lives and in the world, right? Which he will Uh, He will establish through his death on the cross where he paid for our sin and made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Jesus establishes this new way of being in relationship with God. And so the Bible says that when we confess our sin and when we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we actually become a new creation. That's what the Bible says. God, by his Spirit, is that work in your life, softening your hard heart, transforming your heart. That is the work that God is doing within you through faith in Jesus. And so marriage in the kingdom of God has taken on this higher meaning. It's not just a husband and wife meeting one another's needs. It has a transformed meaning, meaning in the kingdom of God. Jesus will show us. And we see that maybe most clearly in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to these words, verse 21. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, uh, you submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to their husbands and everything. We're just hitting every controversial verse here. Let's just get them all done. But look, like, see the mutuality here? See the mutuality, okay? Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did he do? He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And now Paul's going to quote the very same passage Jesus quoted. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. Mystery. When we hear the word mystery in the Bible, what you need to know is it doesn't mean something we don't understand. Something that's just an enigma to me. So never what mystery means. Um, that's because that's how normally we use it. Like, God, like I think, like, I don't, my wife is a mystery to me. The way she thinks, the way women think are a mystery. Any amens, brothers? Any amens? You cowards. Right? I just don't get how they think. And then, you know, from time to time, my wife will we'll just be sitting in the living room, coffee, and it's kind of quiet, and she looks to me. 
And she says, what are you thinking right now? Then I say, nothing. <laughs> and she says, no, really, what are you thinking about? I said, really, nothing. She says, you're serious? I'm like, yeah. No, I wasn't thinking about anything. And she's like, huh, I don't get that. Women, any amens? Amens to that? Am I the only one, right? I just don't get it. It is a mystery. So when Paul says this is a mystery, he's not saying something we don't understand. The Bible always means it to say something that was hidden that has now been revealed. So there was something hidden about marriage until Jesus came that now has been brought to light. And what is this mystery? This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? Marriage actually now has a bigger meaning than just a husband and wife. It has a bigger purpose. Marital love is actually what God intends to be a picture of a greater love, of the love of God in the gospel. Jesus, when he laid down his life for sinners who did not deserve it, who were not worthy of it, he freely gave his life and laid himself down for your sake and for my sake. That's the good news. You can be right with God saved from your sin, have the gift of eternal life, not because of how good you are, but because how good God has been, Jesus has been on your behalf. And the gift of that life, of that relationship we, we receive through faith in what Jesus has done, that's the gospel. And Paul says, marriage is God's picture of the gospel. It is to be a, it is to be a picture of God's covenant-keeping love for us. Did you know that's what marriage is about? In the kingdom of God, it's bigger than just you and her. And if you don't see how marriage is connected to God's bigger plan, you'll never know how to live in it. Because it's God who teaches. What this means is it's God who teaches us how to love. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. What does love look like? Right? Well, it's, it says in, in, in John, this is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. So we have to lay down our lives for one another. Right? God teaches us what love is, and he empowers us to, to give it. Right? It's God that empowers our marital love. If we know the love of God, if we draw close to God, if we lead a God-centered life, that will equip and empower me to draw closer to my spouse, right? To ever, ever more be, experience this oneness. Now, it takes two to tango, right? So it's not something you can do all by yourself. But it's God's love that empowers our marital love to, to reflect to one another in marriage and to the wider world and to our kids, the truth of God's covenant-keeping love through Jesus Christ. God, so, so what this means is if, you know, to, to, to be the best spouse you can be in marriage, um, the way to grow in that is to grow in relationship with God. 
I mean, there's too many people, they're expecting their spouse to meet all of their needs. If you expect that you're supposed to meet all your needs and cover all your insecurities and give you your identity and all of that, you're, you're putting on them a, a weight that God never intended them to bear, right? It's, it's God that is the satisfier of all our needs. And if we find our satisfaction, our contentment, our joy, our peace in Him and who He tells us we are in His promises, right? That, that enables me and empowers me to go into my marriage, my relationship, and be a better wife and to be a better husband. And to foster a healthier marriage, right? You want to grow closer to one another in marriage? Grow closer to God. For it's His love that we're called to give to one another. So what Jesus is saying is that the, 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 the problem here, guys, is not the prevalence of divorce. Really at the root, the problem is, is, is the failure to know and worship God. That's what we need to do. We need to know and worship God, to know His love. So we can live His love. So the best thing you can do if you're in marriage is is to put God at the center. And some of you, you're not married yet, but you're hoping to be married. And the best thing you can do to prepare for marriage, you know, it's not to be scrolling through plentyfresh.com or christianmingle.com. I mean, you can maybe do that too. But 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 it's it's to grow in a relationship with God. Make God ever more the center of your life. You can already be building a healthy marriage now before you ever meet the person. So that's God's intention. That's what God calls us to. That lifelong union of loving commitment between a man and a woman joined together by Him. Now, it's a few minutes after 12, and I know there's pierogies out there and you're hungry, but can you give me a couple more minutes? Just a couple. Because if I were to stop right here, like I think I actually would have not been faithful to what's happening here. And I would leave you with, um, with potentially something that's a, a misunderstanding of, of God's intention or God's word. You see, the disciples noticed that, um, like you, you might be wondering, okay, uh, that's the reality, Rusty, of marriage. Yeah, we know marriage, you know, it's hard, it's, it's not easy. Um, but that, Rusty, the, the reality is that due to the hardness of heart, sometimes really terrible things happen in marriage. Like really terrible things are done. What about that? And the disciples wondered that too because they noticed that Jesus didn't fully answer the question. So it says in verse 10, after this interaction with the Pharisees, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. Okay, Jesus... They asked you, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And, and Jesus answered in verse 11, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So it, it's a way, so Jesus is, is answering the, 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 the question, is it lawful to divorce your wife? He, he's saying, no, it is not lawful to divorce your wife. Now, if you just looked at that, you could misuse and misunderstand that. And the church, throughout the centuries, uh, up, up until the present, um, I think has misunderstood and misused that to keep primarily women in harmful marriages. It was, is what Jesus is saying here is that every divorce is wrong. You shall never divorce. Go back to that relationship. Keep stay, stay no matter what happens to you. Is that what Jesus is getting at here? 
You have to remember the context. Jesus is talking to people, Pharisees, who had a permissive view. They were only interested in their rights. They used, they used divorce as a sword to harm others. They didn't care how it affected others, right? They used divorce as a sword to harm. And so to people like that, he's saying, it is not lawful for you to divorce. Full stop. So that would be kind of like me, my, my youngest daughter, Pippa. She's, a, she's strong-headed. She's a great girl. But, you know, she'll, she'll be maybe a little bit defiant, disobedient. I'll say, Pippa, you go to your room, and you are not allowed to come out for any reason. Any reason? What if I have to pee? We have to go to the bathroom. Are you saying, do I have, what, I just pee my pants? Pippa. What if the house is on fire? Do I have to stay? No. Like, what if I fall and I, I cut myself? Can I go get a band? Pippa. See, you don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying, like, don't build too much out of this. He's not saying, woman, go back to that place where you're being beaten every day. Because Scripture interprets Scripture, right? You can't take one part out without looking at the whole to understand it. And so if you go to Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have this exact same encounter, but Matthew adds a little bit more detail. And in Matthew, Jesus gives the same command. It's unlawful, but he gives an exception, except for sexual immorality. Oh, okay, so, so there's an exception. And then, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, if, if a man or a woman is, is abandoned by their spouse, who says, I just don't want to be married to you anymore, I'm leaving you, he says, okay. Let them go. You are free. A spouse who, uh, who abuses, I would say, has abandoned their responsibility in the, in the greatest way. They have violated their vow to protect and instead is using marriage to harm instead of protect. And so this is what I want you to hear. Jesus is saying, stay married, not just as if it's hard, if it's harmful. Marriage is supposed to be hard, but marriage isn't supposed to harm. And so where, where God permits divorce, it's ne- he never permits it to be used as a sword for someone selfishly to use against another, but he does permit it to be used as a shield where people want to use marriage as a weapon to harm another. God permits divorce as a shield to protect the weak and the vulnerable against abuse. Right? And, and, and time has shown that in, in encouraging an abused spouse to continue, to keep going back, it has shown to promote further abuse instead of correcting the abuse. Sometimes divorce is needed to confront evil, that hard-heartedness, and to protect oneself against harm. And where that is needed, God says, divorce can be used as a shield but never as a sword. Marriage is supposed to be hard, but it is not supposed to bring harm. And this is the wonderful thing about God because that's revolutionary. All other religious systems throughout history, all other traditions, pretty much, I mean, not, maybe not all, I don't know, but most that, that were, like, the rules were wives belonged to husbands, men had the right to kind of do whatever they wanted, they had the right to divorce. Where God permits divorce, it's never like that, it's always the opposite way around. It's, it's for the sake of the weaker one to, to be protected against harm. And there's other verses we could go to that could, that could show God's heart in that. That's always behind it, wherever there is permission. 
but we don't have more time to do that. But that's the goodness of God, right? That's the goodness of God in marriage and in where he, where he permits marriage to end. It's for the good, right? It's for the good of others. So, in this passage, we see the heart of God for marriage. So, who are you? Where are you in life? In God's kingdom, marriage is this union where we can most profoundly live out the covenant-keeping love of God to one another. We are called to build up each other. Now, for those of you, maybe that's a a covenant that has been broken, that you broke, someone else broke, and and this is what you need to hear. God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. God God longs to forgive, and He longs to restore for any who seek it. We may be a product of our past, but we are not to be prisoners. We don't have to be prisoners of our past. There is hope for those that have experienced brokenness. There is hope for those who are guilty. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. For those of us who are married, remember, it's, it's... it's possible to commit the sin of divorce, to have that hard-heartedness that leads to that direction and be in marriage. Right? So here's a question I'll throw up on the screen for you. How are you pursuing oneness in marriage? For those of you who are married, how are you pursuing oneness? How, 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 how are you trying to resist that meistic sort of way of thinking and living and, and grow in more of a weistic way of thinking and living. Remember the key verse in, in, in Mark is, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. And that's true in marriage. How do you, as a husband and wife, need to further deny yourself for the sake of the other? Is there any hard-heartedness? Is there any self that you need to lay down? Is there any bit, is there any bit of me that you have to lay down for the sake of we. What would it look like in your marriage to pursue oneness? And if you struggle in that, don't struggle alone. Don't struggle in silence. The church is the place. The church needs to be the place where we can struggle together and help together. Don't struggle in marriage alone. Share with godly people around you. Come to a pastor. Allow others to help. God makes much of marriage, and by His grace, our marriages will make much of Him. Let's pray together. God, we thank You that You are a God of loving kindness. Your love for us is not contingent on our worthiness, on our merit. It's in spite of all of that. You're a God who sent your son to die on that cross, to lay down his life for us while we were sinners. We thank you, God, for your love, which transforms our lives, our minds, our hearts, our relationships. Now you call us to take that love and to bring that into our homes, bring it into our marriages, and to give it to give it away. And Lord, that is not easy to do. 
this sort of this sort of commitment can sometimes be very hard. And I know there are people here that are in a season of hard. And um, I just pray, God, that you would you would just uh, as we look to you, you would equip and you would enable us by your Spirit to to love one another well, Lord, just to just to reflect to one another. And to those, to the world, to everyone who watches, to reflect the reality of your love, your covenant-keeping love. Lord, just help us to make much of marriage, and Lord, just help our marriages to make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen.